0: Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. We hope it encourages you to live and love like Jesus.
1: Congratulations um, on being here. Um, It is time change, right? We've lost an hour of sleep. And just for the record, McKenna, where are you? She's here somewhere in the back. Note who is here. And who is not? Okay, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Okay, I mean, time change is probably also known as associate preach Sunday. But um, thank you for being here. How goes your Lent? Hmm? Have you given up anything? Have you picked up anything? Maybe something new. Maybe a holy habit. Maybe you're going to the gym more often. I don't. I'm not sure anyone would be going to the gym less. I mean, I don't. Maybe you did swear off going to the gym for 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 Lent. I don't know. Maybe you started a Bible study, or had begun a new time of prayer. You know, Lent is a period of self-examination, introspection, where you take stock of things. Things change. That's the point. We're also studying the Apostles' Creed, the oldest formal statement of belief in the church. Dates from the fourth century. Many of you may have spoken the creed when you were in church as a child. Maybe you've done it. Maybe you were raised like I was in the Southern Baptist tradition. Uh, Southern Baptists are not a creedal organization. We don't say creeds often, if at all. Some of you, for, for some of you, maybe this is brand new stuff. Well, today we're going to pick up the divinity of Christ. Christ. Jeff talked about Christ's humanity last week. Today, Christ's divinity. And if you like diving into the meanings of words and, and looking past the sort of the, 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 the modern meaning of a word to the older meaning of a word, you're gonna love this today. Okay? We're gonna do a little bit of that. And also, we have some biology towards the end. The scripture, we'll put that up in just a moment, but we feel since we're studying the Apostles' Creed, that it's important to say it. So I'm going to ask you to stand up as you're able and join me in this historic creed of the church universal. Together now, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please have a seat. If we were going really old school, we'd sing the Gloria Patri. we That's okay. You, you, you heard enough of me singing when that mic was hot. Sorry about that. The scripture this morning is from Philippians. Chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. I hope you'll uh, follow along, maybe on your digital device. If you have Bible Gateway, you could look that up on your phone right now. Um, And you might want to keep that open, because we're going to refer back to that. Here this morning, what the Spirit is saying to the church.
0: Hello, my name is Pam Wilson, and I will be reading Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, assuming human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human, he, he humbled himself And became obedient to the point of death even to death on a cross therefore god exalted him even more highly and gave him the name that is above every other name so that at the name given to jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be. To God. Thanks
1: be to God. Pam, thank you for reading uh, reading the Scripture today. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, open our hearts and our minds for the Word that you have for us this day. May we may all we do here and hereafter glorify and magnify your name. Amen. So we're talking about the Apostles' Creed. Belief. I believe in God the Father Almighty. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Catholic Church. Don't get too nervous. Catholic, small c, means universal church. Okay? Some folks get kind of like, oh, where'd that come from? universal church. It's lent, of course, we've talked about that, time of introspection, time of uh, of taking stock. This morning we're going to talk about Christ's divinity. Jeff talked about Christ's humanity last week, and it's this holy mystery that Jesus is fully human and fully divine. The early church struggled with it, struggled with it, struggled with it. The Apostles' Creed even came out of that discussion. Most of the time when there was a council of the church and a creed happened, it's because there was some fussing over what what do we really believe? What do we trust in? So our passage today speaks directly to the divinity of Christ. This letter of Paul's was written in, in probably in the 50s, year 50. Paul is in prison prison yet again. Despite his imprisonment, the letter is joyful. Paul gives thanks for the Philippians. He gives thanks for God. He gives thanks for Jesus Christ. He gives thanks for his fellow missionaries. Incidentally, this church in Philippi, Macedonia, now Greece, first Christian church in Europe, you ever have a chance to visit. I've not been over there, but if you've ever vi- had a chance to visit that part of the world, take a look at Philippi. The letter has four chapters. It's about six pages in my study Bible, so I'm hope, hopefully, you'll maybe take a look at it this Lent. It might take you a half hour to read. The passage today comes from chapter 2. <clears throat> from chapter 2, comes as Paul says earlier in the earlier in the chapter, he's encouraging the Philippians to live after Christ's example, showing humility, loving each other, being in full accord of one mind. Sounds like the United Methodist Church, doesn't it? We said goodbye to 41 congregations last Saturday, a week ago. We have a little trouble with the unity thing, I think. Being of one mind. That's a sermon for another day. Focus now. Paul then recounts what many believe is this ancient hymn, a poem or a song that believers had already been using. Maybe they they used it in worship, maybe as a prayer. In many of your hard copy Bibles and maybe even online versions, those verses are kind of indented and presented differently. Okay? That's a hint that that passage is a little different than the rest. There's a lot to discuss here, but I want to take a look at at verses 9 through 11. I want to focus there. Therefore God exalted him even more highly and gave him the name that is above every other name. Seems pretty straightforward. But Paul is making an extraordinary claim here. Jesus equal with God took on his human self right before there, and then God exalted him. The Greek word here for exalt, you're going to love this, okay, I told you, is Oopso. That's just fun to say. I have to tell you. It's just fun to say. And if you're like, well, how am I ever going to remember this? Well, hooper, H-U, the beginning of that, H-U-P-E-R, that's where we get our prefix hyper. Hooper hyper. And then oops-o, well, just think up. So God hypered Jesus, hyper- Jesus up, all right, exalted. That word, huperupso, only appears in the Bible in Philippians 2.9. This was extraordinary. This wasn't an ordinary thing. Jesus was not a lesser angel. Jesus was very God of very God. And Paul's affirming that. Paul goes on, verses 10 and 11. At the name given to Jesus, every knee should bend, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess. Paul is quoting Isaiah there. Yeah. Paul is quoting Isaiah. Chapter 45. In chapter 45, God is speaking. God says, I am the Lord. There is no other. That's pretty declaratory. No ambiguity there. And then God goes on in verse 23 to say this, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that this is the case. So Paul, look what Paul has done. Paul, a righteous Jew, probably a Pharisee, likely a Pharisee. He'll call himself later in in Philippians. Paul will say that he is a Hebrew among Hebrews. A believer in one true God, Applies that same language to Jesus Christ. Paul does not do things idly. He he chose his words carefully. But Paul's not finished yet. Wait, there's more. Verse 11. He goes on, Paul goes on to quote what will become one of the earliest spoken creeds of the church What will every tongue confess? That Jesus Christ is Lord. The Greek word here for Lord is kurios. Kurios. And it's the same word that in the Hebrew Bible means God. So Paul opens this passage by encouraging the Philippians to let the same mind be in them that was in Christ and to recognize, claim, and worship that same Jesus as Lord. You know, Paul might as well have said, Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. Because at that time, the Romans, the Roman coinage had an inscription that said, Caesar is God, Caesar is Lord. And many of the uh, many of the Caesars, as they sort of kept going, you know, the succession of Caesars, they referred to themselves as sons of, of God. So this claim of Paul's is in direct direct conflict with this claim of the empire. The kingdom of God's claim is at odds with the world's claim. Jesus said that would happen. So in the face of a hostile culture and the oppression of a powerful empire, Paul gives his allegiance to Jesus Christ and he says to the Philippians do likewise. And Paul's assertion of Jesus' divinity, along with his encouragement to the Philippian church to live lives of humility and mutual love and unity, that's a powerful testament to the counter-cultural life that is the kingdom of God. Looking after the poor, sharing resources, giving generously, meeting the empire's oppression With prayer and fasting and singing. You know, the Christians got in trouble with the empire not because they were trying to violently overthrow it. They got in trouble because they were weird. They were strange. They wouldn't fight back. And that was too much for the empire. Too countercultural. Those Christians, they're up to something. living joyfully. That's the kingdom of God. In this new covenant, this new order, this new life made possible by Jesus' death and resurrection, this Jesus Christ is Lord. And Caesar is not. How to live this kingdom life? How do we, how do, we do this? Paul is uh, Paul's very practical usually in what he uh, writes to the churches. He wants to be helpful to them, but he lays out the theology at the beginning part. And so this theology, this theological gem, in verse 5, Paul says, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. That's the New Revised Standard Version. The New International says this, in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. In the Common English Bible it says adopt the attitude that was in Christ, Jesus Christ. It sounds like a head thing. Doesn't it? You've got to wrap your head around that. Well, the word we translated as mind here, have the mind of Christ like many Greek words, means something more. It means it's more involved than that. It doesn't just, it, the word doesn't really translate readily into English. The word means that part of us, our being, that transitions between thoughts and emotions. Sort of the, in the guts, kind of down deep in you. Think about those things that you just know. Not what you studied and what you learned and what you recited, but just things you know. Having the mind of Christ, it's not a head thing. It's a heart thing. So what does that mean for us today? We've talked about Lent as this time to reflect and renew. We have these swatches of fabric that I talked about earlier that they're intended to provide us tangible reminders of Of several things as we make this journey, the first couple of weeks we focused on our brokenness, and now for the next few weeks we're going to turn our attention to reflection and obedience, and then as I've mentioned, we're breaking down the Apostles' Creed. So another way to look at this Lent is is that it's a time to clarify what we truly believe and why we believe it. That language of believing has been a part of Christianity from the very beginning. Jesus said in John 14, Believe in God, believe also in me. In Acts 13, we have this straightforward description of the path to salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and what? You will be saved. Believe. Theologian Marcus Borg wrote a book called Heart of Christianity, he wrote several books. In that book, he argued that we have lost the original meaning of the word believe. We've kind of over it. We've turned it into a head thing, a mind thing. His example of that is that right after the Reformation, remember the Reformation, little church history, Martin Luther nails the 95 theses to the wall, and all of a sudden, the church universal is not universal. I mean, it's universal in the, in the truest sense. But we begin to divide up into denominations, and a lot of the denominations came to be because of a list of beliefs. Beliefs became this sort of checkbox deal. Now, my professor for Reformation theology would probably not like that, but he's not here today, so let's just keep going. No, the origins... The origins of the word believe come from a 13th century old English, and it didn't really refer to a mental ascent to a list of things. It was—it was comes from the same word that the English word beloved comes from. Believe is to beloved. To believe in God and Jesus was to beloved God and Jesus. Namely, it meant to commit oneself to a relationship of attentiveness and faithfulness and trust. Commitment and fidelity are the ancient meanings of faith and belief. Commitment and fidelity. It sounds like a good marriage. The Apostles' Creed, as if we look at that language, reflects this understanding. It begins with the Latin. I'm not a Latin scholar, and you could probably tell I'm not a Greek scholar either, but I do have books, okay? Um, the Latin credo is the first word of of the Apostles' Creed, credo. We know what credo means. Credo is often uh, most commonly translated into English as I believe. But the Latin root of credo actually means I give my heart to. As a noun, it's that which I give my heart to. Believe, beloved. Giving your heart. turns out belief is more than a head thing. More than a set of things we mentally check off. Belief involves the giving of our hearts, putting our hearts into it, doing this thing with our whole heart, not being half-hearted about it. No quiet quitting. And whatever that Monday thing on Monday is... I don't know, No Work Monday? Have you heard about that? Where you kind of just show up and draw breath? Okay. No, belief is not a head thing, it's a heart thing. And Lent is our time to clarify what we believe, what our credo is, what we give our hearts to, where will we place our commitment and fidelity, who or what is the Lord of our lives and who or what is not. Paul had a name for this, and he shared it with the Philippians In the passage immediately following our text for today, he says this in verses 12 and 13, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. Work out your salvation, for it's God who's working. So really, just to lay it out, Paul begins by urging the Philippians to have the mind, the head, and the heart of Christ. He then evokes this ancient hymn describing Jesus' humility, His obe- obedience, and His divinity, proclaim Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. And then he gives the Philippians their assignment. Work out your salvation. And this isn't in the verse, but this is in my translation, in my head. But take heart. Because God is working in you. Through Jesus, this divine Jesus. It's not just a head thing. It's a heart thing. Fortunately, we're not on our own to work out our own salvation. Recall that Paul told the Philippians that God was working in them. And that happens through Jesus, the Christ, who lives and reigns And works even today. And as much as this conversation this morning has focused on our beliefs, I think it's important to say this, that Jesus has already shown that He believes in us. That Jesus, fully human, divine, is working in us because He believes in you and me. He loves you and me. He preached good news and how to live because he believes in you and me. He went to the hopeless. He hung out with the least and the lost, the outcasts of the world, those that society had written off as without worth because he believes in you and me. He withstood temptation, forsaking a worldly kingdom for a more enduring, lasting Realm, the kingdom of God, because he believes in you and me. He suffered the indignity and justice of being nailed to a cross and dying a horrible death because he believes in you and me. He conquered death and sin and all the powers of this world arrayed against him. He rose up out of that grave because he believes in you and me. And he reigns today, sitting at God's right hand, Because he believes, he beloves you and me. And even today, even now, he's waiting and hoping and yearning for our affirmation. He says in Revelation 3.20, look at me, I stand at the door, I knock. If you hear me, call and open the door and I will come right in. Jesus wants to know what our heartfelt belief is today. Our credo, he wants to know what we're willing to give our hearts to. Now, here's your biology. You know, the heart is surrounded by a sac that's called the pericardium. It protects the heart and enables it to do what it needs to to keep, to keep us going, pumping blood, exchanging the oxygen. It keeps us alive. Really alive. Sometimes the pericardium gets thick and rigid. Sometimes it can even start to calcify. And when that happens, the heart is constrained. It's called constrictive pericarditis. It, the heart can't do what it should. We're tired, we can't live life fully. When that condition gets severe, a surgeon will remove the pericardium to free the heart so that it can do what it needs to keep us alive. You know, friends, it's hard to give your heart to something if it's all wrapped up and bound up, constrained. Constrained by the claims of worldly realms, other realms. In Matthew, Jesus says this, where your treasure is, you know it, That's where your heart is also. So what constrains your heart today? What's got your heart all wrapped up? Lent's a time to clear away all that comes between our hearts and the heart of Christ. We can unwrap our hearts today and free them from all that binds them. And we can let our hearts do what they need to for us to truly live. We can unbind them from our concerns about our success and our things, our worries that we aren't good enough, that we haven't done enough, our timidity, our fear of reaching out and doing, our unrelenting schedules that scarcely leave us enough time for an hour of week of worship, and if we lose an hour of sleep, we're exhausted. Can I get a witness? Our broken relationships, failed friendships, grudges we've held on to for heart far too long, that thing. I know I've got him. the thing that wakes me up at 4 o'clock in the morning. Our pride, our egos, our self-centeredness. You know, Jesus wants to clear all of that away. Oh, I knew I would do that. He wants to free our hearts to join with His. We're going to have a closing song here in a moment and during that song if there's something that's gotten your heart all bound up I'm going to ask you to take one of those pieces of fabric and place it in the frame. Some of you have already done that. Thank you. And as you do that, let that act be a means of grace for you today. An ordinary action that conveys the deep and powerful transformational power of God's grace. This working out of our salvation it's not a head thing. It's a heart thing. What do you believe? Whom do you love? What will you give your heart to today? Will you pray with me? Dear Jesus, our hearts are bound, wrapped up, bound by worry, by despair, by pride, by distraction. Jesus. You believe in us. You beloved us. Free our hearts so that we can give them fully, completely, and joyfully to you. In your name we pray all this. Amen. Thank you
0: for listening to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. You are invited to worship with us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more information, visit our website, mysumc.org. Have a blessed day.